this evening, take our Bibles. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4, okay? Galatians chapter 4 this evening. As we're studying through this book of the Bible on Wednesday nights, and I hope you've been encouraged by it. I know I have. Every time I come to it and read it in my personal study, I'm encouraged every single time. And my faith is strengthened and more concrete in knowing that our salvation, listen, is by faith. It's by grace through faith. It's not a matter of works. It's Jesus has finished all that work, and we just simply trust his finished work for our salvation. I'm thankful. I'm thankful what Jesus has done for for us. But keep in mind as we come to this, there were some false teachers that have taken, uh, taken upon themselves to come to this area of Galatia and spread their false teaching, as, as Paul said, another gospel. And they were teaching this. They were teaching of adding the works of a law to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And they were perverting the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in doing that and perverting the true gospel, Paul knew what was going on in the hearts and minds of these Christians in Galatia. No doubt it was uh, very chaotic in their hearts and minds. There was very much confusion in our hearts and minds. So Paul, knowing this, sat down with pen in hand and made it plainly known that the gospel is this. It's a death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and salvation comes by grace through faith in the gospel, nothing else. And so he defends the pure gospel as the Judaizers are trying to pervert the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we come to Galatians chapter number 4, we see here Paul is continuing his interrogations uh, to these Galatian believers as well in, in, in passing to the Judaizers uh, too, all right? But he's doing this for two reasons. And of course, the main one is this, to defend the gospel. That's what he's doing. He is defending the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's also doing this in his interrogations. He is trying to get these Galatian believers to stop for a moment to stop for a moment and to uh, understand or at least think about what is being taught to them by these Judaizers and to stop and think about what they are doing and what they are believing because, again, our belief determines our behavior. So he's trying to get them to stop and think what they are believing and how they are behaving in these interrogations, all right? So just know what, that's what he's trying to do through these questions and through these interrogations. All right, so let's look on. And Paul's instruction and his interrogations here in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse number 11, all right? Galatians chapter 4, verse number 11, and we'll go down through verse number 18. The Bible says, I am afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first and my temptation, which was in my flesh, despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessing as you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, not only when I am present with you. Let's pray again. Our Father, again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truth. Thy word is truth. And Lord, I pray you to help us to understand it this evening. And as we do understand, help us to obey and apply it to our own life. We love you. Thank you for loving us first in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I read these verses, it seems as if Paul at this moment is putting more of a personal note 
into this letter he is writing to these Galatian believers. Now, right here in the middle of this letter, yes, of course, as he's defending the gospel, it seems, though, he wants to put a personal twist on it. Not really a twist. That's a bad wording when you're reading Scripture. But it's just a personal insert, if you will, into this letter. You see, he wants to bear his heart to these dear people that he loves, loves with all of his heart. And uh, you can see this getting more personal here because in the first half of Galatians 4, he uses a lot these words. He uses ye or you. And he uses even the words we. But when you read these verses here and even on down, you'll see more of these pronouns. You'll see I and my. So at this, at this moment, when we come to this portion of Scripture and these, these verses, it seems Paul is getting a little more personal. And in a more personal matter that these Galatian believers, especially when he was with them, they would understand more. They would understand better. And it should grab their attention a little more, all right? So, so as we read this, here's what I see. If you're taking notes uh, in, uh, for, the, for the message, is this. Paul is making a personal note here, all right? A personal note to these Galatian believers. Number one, here's one of the personal things he writes about. Number one, his personal concern. His personal concern. Look at in verse number 11. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. Now, as you notice this phrase in verse 11, the phrase that says this, I am afraid of you. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Did he mean that he was afraid of them in a sense that they will hurt them? Or was he afraid that they would find him? After reading this letter, uh, get mad at him, beat him up, take him to jail and kill him? Is that what he's afraid afraid of when he says i'm afraid of you that's not what he's getting at he's not saying he was afraid of them that they would hurt him in a physical sense or a physical matter rather when paul says here i'm afraid of you he was saying this i have a fear for you i have a concern for you paul was concerned for these believers even as he would say in verse number 19 my little children he considered them his children in the faith they were very dear to him all right? But he had a concern for them. But what was he concerned for? Why did he have a concern for them? Here's why. Because of the dangers that lie ahead for these Galatians if, if they continue to follow the teachings of these Judaizers. I believe Paul was afraid of where the teaching of the Judaizers would lead them. He was afraid of where they may end up at the end of this teaching and of this following of this false doctrine. He was afraid of this wrecking their lives and ruining the lives of others. He was afraid that it might do harm to the church or even misrepresent, of course, misrepresent the true gospel of Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus himself. He feared there could be great consequences of their actions. He was afraid where it could lead them. He's afraid what could happen because of what was going on there in the false teaching of the Judaizers. He says, I'm afraid of you. I am concerned for you. I fear for you. Paul was so concerned. Here's what he's concerned about. Listen. Paul was so concerned that they would turn from the truth and embrace a lie and do that willingly. Do that willingly. And do you know what it is, what it's called when someone who knows the truth and who yet deliberately turns away from that truth? Do you know what that's called? I'll tell you what it's called. It starts with an A and ends with apostasy. It's apostasy. 
See, apostasy is this. An apostate is someone who has turned from revealed truth. It is someone who rejects the truth while maintaining an outward appearance of belief. It is someone who sees the truth, knows the truth, yet chooses not to believe the truth. That's what apostate is. And their, their teaching could lead to that very thing. And just on a side note, by the way, I want you to know this. An apostate is not someone who was saved and lost it, okay? Please know you cannot ever lose your salvation. The Bible does not teach this. The Bible is very plain. When someone is born again, they have eternal life. When you are born again, you cannot be unborn again, all right? When you get life eternal, you will have eternal life. And when does that eternal life end? Well, eternal life will end when eternity ends, okay? And when does eternity end? Well, eternity will end when God ends. When does God end? Never. Why? He's the, he's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and Omega. Listen, when you get eternal life, you can never lose it. Here's what Jesus said. John 10, verse 28 and 29, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, my Father, which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So please know an apostate is not someone who got saved and lost it. That doesn't happen. An apostate is someone who knows the truth yet rejects it willingly. That's a true apostate. When you think of an apostate as someone who knows the truth yet rejects it, who comes to your mind at least as a Bible character, all right? Who comes to your mind? Someone tell me. I heard it. Judas. Judas is the prime example of someone who would be apostate. Uh, one writer said this about, about Judas. said he could have been the chief of the apostles, yet instead he became the chief of the apostates. Uh, another one said this. Judas is a prime, prime, prime biblical example of how near a man can come to truth and yet how far a man can go from it. And good night is he not a picture of what a true apostate is. So understand, even during the infancy of the church, apostasy was alive and was doing well. And to learn more about that, we can look at the little book of the Bible, the book of the Bible, Jude. For in there, Jude describes the apostates. He talks about them. He describes them, how they are, how they act, and what they do. You can, you can see more about apostates from that little book of the Bible. I like what one person said about the book of, uh, of Jude. It's, they said, if the book of Acts is the work of the apostles, then the book of Jude is the work of the apostates. But Jude sat down, listen, why? To contend for the faith. When did he write it, though, in the first century? He wanted to sit down and write about the common salvation, meaning this, he wanted to sit down and probably write another gospel record. That's what he wanted to do. But instead, God had him sit down and write about contending for the faith. Why? Because apostasy was on the rise. But how does that even happen? How does apostasy come, come about? Because people who know the truth reject it and suppress it and try to turn others away from it. That's what these Judaizers were doing. And if these Galatian believers, and some of them, maybe not believers, but people in Galatia, if they were to uh, follow the teaching of these Judaizers and point people away from the truth, guess what they're going to happen to them? They too would become apostate. I believe this is what Paul is trying to get at when he says, I am afraid of you. That this could be the thing that could happen to you. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain, verse number, verse number 11. So understand, Paul had a great concern, personal concern for these Galatians. His concern was real. 
The fear he had for them was, was real, just as any parent would be concerned or fearful for their child going the wrong, wrong direction and, or towards danger, just as any parent would have that kind of fear. That's the kind of fear Paul had here, his personal concern for these dear people. The labor that he bestowed upon them, concerned that it could be all in vain if they turned from the gospel to another, another gospel. So, Please know at this, right this moment right now, though, his, this concern he had, it didn't come from a place of hate. Uh, this concern he had was not birthed out of a place of anger, but rather this concern that Paul had really came from a root of love for these dear people in Galatia. He loved them so very much. And you can see that in point number two. So number one, personal concern. Number two, see this, his personal calamity. All right, look at verse 13. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now we know, we know it's no secret that the Apostle Paul went through much tribulation, much persecution, much turmoil just to get the gospel to the unreached places of the Gentile territory. Even Paul himself, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 15, verse 16. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And because of this, he did just that. He took three missionary journeys, as far as we know, to the Gentile parts of the world in which he would carry the gospel to uh, two continents, several countries, nearly 60 cities. Now it all span around 10,000 miles, which to put 10,000 miles in perspective, it'd be like this. It'd be like going from New York to L.A. and back, all right? But mostly on foot. Yeah, so walking from New York to L.A. on foot and back. Yeah, you don't do that because that's fun. <laughs> no, that's not, that, wouldn't, that don't sound like fun at all to me, actually. You do that because there's something greater. There's a greater purpose and a greater reason. You would do something as crazy as that. And it was Paul's love for the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for the gospel, but his love for these people. To put himself through such calamity and, and, and turmoil and persecution. But he did that because he loved them. Now, during these missionary efforts, we know it's no secret either that he suffered greatly for the gospel's sake. And you can read of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul, when he's writing to them, he boils it all down to what he suffered. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. Here's how he was in the flesh, all right? He's saying, look, if you want to compare my works to the others, here's, here's what I've done. All right, He says this, In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without. 
That which cometh upon me daily, that burden, that heavy weight that weighs upon me daily is this, the care of all the churches. Understand Paul suffered so much, so much calamity, so much sacrifice, so much, as the Bible says here, infirmity. No wonder Paul needed Dr. Luke with him as he traveled, okay? Uh, you, as you read the book of Acts, you'll see, uh, we believe it was, it was Luke who penned, the human penman of the book of Acts. Uh, you can see that when you see the word we in there a couple of times. But we believe that Dr. Luke traveled with Paul, especially uh, later on in his missionary journeys. Why? Because all the things he suffered, he needed a doctor. It wasn't a Band-Aid was not going to help him any longer, all right? He needed a physician to help him through some of these things. So no wonder he needed Dr. Luke. All the things he was suffering, his, the calamity he was going through, the infirmities that he had. But understand it was for a greater purpose. It wasn't just for fun. Not just for kicks and giggles, all right? There's a greater purpose why he did these things and suffered so much, and here it was. A greater purpose was this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. All that suffering that Paul went through, listen, it was for the gospel's sake. Everything he suffered, that he endured, that he was even coming to the Galatians for, was for this purpose, for the gospel's sake. As you think about what Paul went through, what he suffered, what he gave, what he sacrificed, doing it all for the gospel. I had to ask myself this question, what are we doing today for the gospel's sake? And then I have to ask the question a more personal way. What are you doing? What am I doing for the gospel's sake? To get the gospel out, for the furtherance of the gospel, what are we doing? I saw a, uh, a video uh, this past week that really challenged me, encouraged me, and challenged me all at the same time. And it was an interview by Pastor Paul Chapel. He's a pastor out in California, and he, he, he leads a conference called the Loving and Leading Conference, and they had one this past summer in Egypt. And it was while he was in Egypt, he met up with a, a Muslim believer who was converted to, to Christ through the witness of some German businessmen who really, I think, they're just a, that's just a cover, they were missionaries, all right? but converted to Christ through the witness of his missionaries. And the things this man suffered and went through, I'm telling you what, it challenged me. And that's why I have the TV up here. I'd like for you to see it, if, if, if that's okay, all right? I want you to see it, all right, if I can get it working, at least. And uh, so just, just know this is not his real name. They blur out his image and all that stuff, okay, for his safety's sake. So it's safe to share this. And, uh, but anyway, I just want to be challenged as I was. So let's see if it works here.
after his injuries. My teeth were broken. I cannot hear from my right ear. My whole body was swollen. I prayed that God would let me leave this place. Weeks later, in spring 2020, still seriously injured, Ahmed was released from prison. He fled to a different province with his wife and children. For his faith in Christ, Ahmed lost his printing business and was disowned and denied by his father. He began listening to podcasts from a Baptist missionary serving in Lebanon, who began to disciple him and help him with his medical and living expenses. We in America have a lot of freedom. Mission Island, I think, is here from the We uh, have freedom to worship. I'm not sure we have a problem. But sometimes the Christians in America don't lose their freedom to So anyway, as I watched that, and at the very end is what got me. When Paul Chapel asked me, he said, now in America we have a lot of freedom to witness. And many times we as believers in America, we fail to do so. And a question that the man from, uh, the individual from the certain country he was from, he, even, he asked this question to him. He said, well, are they even Christians? He, he, he can't even fathom that a believer would not spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm trying to get at this evening is this, as Paul would go through all this calamity, all this infirmity, all this punishment and sacrifice for this purpose of the gospel. And a man like this would endure what he went through. I can't imagine, fathom all of that. But for the gospel's sake, just to get the message out. Again, my question to us, including myself, is what am I doing for the gospel's sake? So Paul hears he's writing a personal note. He is saying this. He has a personal concern. And then he looks at him and says and gives him his personal calamity, kind of telling him, don't you remember what I went through just to get the gospel to you? And then, and then thirdly and quickly, he gave him this personal note, all right, a personal note of their personal care. Now, this care is not his care for them, but rather it's their care for, for him. Is their care for him. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to look at that more next time. It's really feeling in my spirit this moment. We just need to pray. We need to pray that God give us opportunity and boldness to give the gospel. To take advantage of the freedoms we have in America still right now. The, the, the advantage of freedom of speech to tell others about Jesus Christ. And so I want to pray that at this moment. We'll take us a prayer request here in a moment, okay? But right now, I want to pray that way. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. That God will give you the boldness and the doors of opportunity to share the gospel this week and this coming month. To share again the good news to your friends and family. So we're thinking ahead. Remember, we're thinking ahead to our friend and family day, thinking of a revival that we're going to have coming up. And 
But who is that God's going to open a door for you? Maybe you already have a, uh, someone on your heart and mind even this evening. You're thinking about them. It may, it may be a grandson or a granddaughter. It may be a son or daughter. It may be a parent. I don't know. But somebody on your heart that you know they need Jesus Christ, I want you to right now pray for them. And God open the door for you to give the gospel again to them. An invitation, yes, to church. An invitation to church, sure. But sharing Christ with them. So let's pray. And pray for those individuals personally. All right? So as I pray, 